Oral questions by members. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, yesterday's budget was just more of the same NDP, NDP platitudes. There was nothing in it again to make good on the repeated promises by this Premier to make life more affordable in BC. In fact, at a time when we see people shifting their buying habits in grocery stores to store brands and cheaper cuts to try to make their grocery bill and their dollar last, what did we see in the budget yesterday? Increased taxes on home heating, increased taxes on used cars, and a brand new tax on the online marketplace. More NDP taxes, Mr. Speaker, despite the Premier's promise during the election, just this last election, and I will quote him, I know he loves it when he gets asked to actually live up to a campaign promise, but this is what the Premier said in the last election, just a year ago. Our, our plan does not include any new taxes. We have no intention of raising new taxes, end quote. So when will the Premier start to actually live up to one of his campaign promises and actually start to take steps to make life more affordable for British Columbia instead of adding taxes? Minister of Finance. Thank you. Clearly, the member opposite doesn't know how to quite read the budget document. Uh, so I, I think it's really important to certainly clarify that the, the marketplace uh, PST that uh, is about closing a loophole. Because, Mr. Speaker, if you have a, a bricks-and-mortar store, uh, you have to charge PST. Like, that's standard. Uh, and we certainly saw with activity through the pandemic that lots of folks went online and are using uh, um, you know, different marketplaces to sell their wares. Well, they, should too, they too should be collecting PSC. So this is about closing a loophole. It's not a new tax, it's closing a loophole, Mr. Speaker. Now, in terms of, in terms of heating equipment, I think it's really important. We, we are living with climate change, Mr. Speaker. We are living it every day. And we want to make it more affordable for people to switch over to heat pumps when they need to change their furnace. So we've removed the PST, Mr. Speaker. Now, the, the member did ask and, say, and suggest somehow that affordability wasn't something that this government has been taking action on, which is absolutely not the case, Mr. Speaker. And I want to say, uh, I just want to talk about one of the items in which we've addressed affordability, uh, particularly in this budget, Mr. Speaker, and that's about affordable childcare and how that is changing lives, Mr. Speaker. With, with this budget, Mr. Speaker, at the end of this year, by the end of this year, people with children under the age of six will be paying on average $20 a day. That is well on the way up to our members, ten, the end of our 10-year plan let's when we will answer, deliver please. $10 a day, Mr. Speaker. Member for Kamloops North Thompson, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. While the Premier's silence on his own campaign promises speaks volumes in this chamber, yep. it's quite incredible that in the middle of an affordability crisis, the NDP are going after people trying to save money on used goods. And in fact, the, the minister references childcare. Only the NDP could think a plan that is six years late at twice the cost is a success story, but I digress. Members, order please. The minister is frankly out of touch 
there is the rising cost of housing at all-time highs, record gas prices to couple with record high levels of taxation, groceries are up skyrocketing, and nothing to help the most vulnerable keep Members, pace with record high quiet, inflation. Please. In fact, the NDP uh, tax increases target those who can actually least afford it. Now again, I know the Premier and the Minister don't like having their own documents quoted to them, but on page 91 of the budget, it very clearly says, and I quote, individuals involved in private vehicle transactions are more likely to be low to medium income, end quote. So again, why is the Premier doing everything possible under his power to, to decrease affordability for those on low and middle incomes in this province as referenced in their own budget book. Minister of Finance. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, we've updated reporting requirements to be in line with other provinces in Canada. This is about fixing, again, another loophole. It closes a loophole and, pre and prevents tax avoidance, Mr. Speaker. But, Mr. Speaker, again, the, the members. members opposite seem to scoff at childcare, and I don't understand what their problem is. They scoff at childcare. Members, question has been asked. Let's listen to the answer. They, they scoff at childcare and its impact on families. When, you're, when we put together the first new social program that this province has seen in a generation, we said we would take. We said we would build it out over 10 years, Mr. Speaker, and that's exactly what we've been doing. We have been building it out. We have included a wage enhancement for those workers. We have training seats for early childhood educators. We are building spaces left, right and centre, Mr. Speaker. More and more keep coming online. We're going to continue down that path towards $10 a day daycare. It'll be $20 by the end of the year, and we're going to keep going until we get to $10 a day, Mr. Speaker. Opposition House Leader. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, the truth of the matter is, is this. Just like their pandemic uh, supports for, for small businesses, there, there would be no support for child care enhancements in this province if it wasn't for the federal government stepping up to the plate. And, and Mr. Speaker, when, when you hear this government, when, when, when people hear this government constantly patting themselves on the back instead of addressing the real affordability challenges that people have, do you know what British Columbians want to say to this Premier? They want to say, give me a break. Now, Paul, Paul, Paul Kershaw of Generation Squeeze uh, says, and I quote, whether it's in trying to fight housing unaffordability or the crisis around childcare unaffordability, the numbers show clearly these are lower level priorities in the 2022 budget." End quote. Mr. Speaker, fighting unaffordability for people is not the priority of this budget. But what was one of the priorities? Making life more affordable for the, for the Premier and for NDP cabinet ministers. You'd think it was, a, you'd think it was a, a joke until you actually read on page 42 of the budget book, read it with your own eyes, that the, the, there is a $20,000 pay raise planned for the Premier and for NDP cabinet ministers. Wow. 
at, at a time at a time when British Columbians are being hit with higher housing costs, higher rents, higher fuel and grocery costs, higher taxes on heating bills and used cars, higher taxes on online marketplaces, how could the Premier possibly justify providing himself and his cabinet ministers with a $20,000 raise? Minister of Finance. Members. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, the, the deficit holdback, which is what the member is referring to, it's a deficit holdback. It's a, it's a, it's a holdback. It, it meant, it, this measure, Mr. Speaker, it sent the wrong message. What it says is that it prioritizes. Members, it prioritizes members come to order, please. Cuts members. Over investment, Mr. Speaker, even, even in an emergency, Mr. Speaker. It forces government to balance books on the backs of British Columbians, making sure that, that we and if we followed that holdback provision, Mr. Speaker, we wouldn't have supports for business. We wouldn't have vaccination clinics. It is the wrong Members, message, Mr. That's Speaker. Enough. Members, we've made unprecedented investments over the last two years, Mr. Speaker, to support people. Ministerial responsibility, however, Mr. Speaker, it still remains with a holdback measure to ensure that ministers stick to their budgets. Opposition House Leader Supplemental. Well, well, well so, so, so for the average British Columbian, uh, a tax increase is, uh, is, a, is just taking care of a loophole. But for this government, uh, when it comes to a pay increase for the Premier and the Cabinet Ministers, it's just dealing with a holdback. Like, talk about a double standard. Page 42 of the budget document says, and I, and I quote, Budget 22, uh, 2022 includes a proposed amendment to repeal the collective 10% salary holdback provision applicable to a minister in respect of Cabinet's collective responsibilities to avoid annual deficits or achieve a surplus. End quote. This is a choice that this government is making. Increase Members, the taxes of average British Columbians and pad their, the their, uh, their own pockets. Talk about being uh, just a little bit toned down. In the middle of an affordability crisis, with half of all British Columbians about $200 away from not being able to pay their bills, the Premier's priority was a $20,000 pay raise for himself and his cabinet ministers. How much did the average person get from this, uh, from this budget? Zero. How much does the Premier and the cabinet get in this document? They get $20,000 in pay increases. Mr. Speaker, where's, where's, the, where's the, the relief that this Premier promised to help British Columbians with, British Columbians who are being crushed under the weight of unaffordability across this province? And will the Premier stand up today and say to British Columbians, you know what, upon second sober thought, I am going to cancel this planned pay increase, $20,000 pay increase for himself and for his cabinet. Minister of Finance. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, the, the member just read from the budget book. He did that reading very well, and he actually called it a holdback. He knows full well that it's a holdback. Mem members, members, we are it's not. A, it's it's a. Members, you are wasting your time. <laughs> Members? The salary is exactly the same. The salary is exactly the same. Members, 
Members will come to order now. Please. Minister will continue. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. And as I've said, the member himself called it a holdback, and it is a holdback that is in place when you have a deficit budget. And the reality is, Mr. Speaker, we chose, we chose to support people through the pandemic, and that has resulted in a deficit budget. The holdback, a holdback provision, its fundamental value, its fundamental value, its message is don't do the right thing by the people, it, it, otherwise we will hold back your salary. We've said we should always be doing the Order. right thing by the people. And so we are eliminating that holdback, Mr. Speaker. And the accountability, Mr. Speaker, the member wants to know about accountability. Ministerial accountability is still there. Every single minister that is surrounding me, Mr. Speaker, is required to back to work within their budget, Mr. Speaker. That's what we are committed to. Members, we are really going too far. Questions are asked and answers should be provided and vice versa. So let's pay some respect to this institution. All right. Leader of the third party. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Property tax revenue is expected to grow by an average of 5.2% annually. And according to the budget and fiscal framework, this projection is in line with inflation. It's true that inflation is a problem. According to StatsCan, inflation is the highest it's been since 1991. But those numbers fall short of the grossly inflated prices of housing in BC. BC assessment data released last month showed that housing prices jumped enormously across the province. Some communities saw the average home value increase by 40%. And when homes jump in value, their owners pay more in property taxes and government benefits from the increased revenues. This government says it cares about the housing crisis but it is hooked on the funds from the runaway housing market that's leaving so many British Columbians struggling to pay rent, much less be able to get into a home of their own. Through you, Honourable Speaker, to the Minister of Finance, how does this government reconcile the promise to fix the housing crisis with the ongoing reliance on the tax revenue that the crisis generates? Minister of Finance. Thank you, and I want to thank the member for, for the question. Uh, the housing uh, crisis uh, has, has been with us for some time. We were making some headway before the pandemic, Mr. Speaker. We were seeing some moderation, uh, and that uh, certainly suggested that we were moving in the right direction with our 30-point plan. We know the speculation and vacancy tax uh, certainly made a difference. Uh, not only did it uh, um, tamper down speculation, but it also turned 18,000 empty uh, units into homes for, for British Columbians. Uh, and I appreciate uh, the member's question. We're continuing to spend uh, $1.2 billion every year to build the kind of housing that British Columbians need. Uh, and in fact, in this budget, we accelerated the Community Housing Fund by $100 million to continue uh, on, that, uh, on that path to continue to deliver uh, housing for British Columbians that they can afford. Leader of third parties, supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and, and while I recognise the government has been trying to address the housing crisis, I think British Columbians can acknowledge and see that for many, many people the crisis is getting worse. But our reliance on problematic revenue sources isn't just limited to housing. It also extends to the other crisis we're experiencing, which is climate change. On page 59 of the budget, it states that revenues from natural gas royalties 
will decrease because of declining gas prices, but these decreases will be offset by increased production volumes. So let's be clear, this government's so-called climate budget is predicated on increasing the volume of methane and carbon emissions from fracking in British Columbia after the climate disasters we endured last year, it is business as usual from this government through you, Honourable Speaker, to the Minister of Energy and Mines. <laughs> How does he reconcile this government's promise of climate action with their ongoing expansion of publicly funded support for fracking? Minister of Energy and Mines. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. I appreciate the question from the member. What we have engaged in is uh, a royalty review. Uh, it was initiated uh, with a report uh, written by Dr. Jennifer Winter of the University of Calgary, Dr. Nancy Olaweiler of the University of Simon Fraser. Uh, they, they set forward uh, a series of conclusions. There's been a public consultation process, and uh, we've made it very clear that we are are going to eliminate outdated, inefficient fossil fuel subsidies. And that report has, uh, we're in, in process. We will be making an announcement in fairly soon, I hope. And uh, uh, I invite the member to await that announcement. Mr. Eversault. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Look, we've just heard, and we all know that housing has never been more out of reach for most British Columbians uh, than it is now under this NDP government. And what did we learn yesterday? That the NDP is profiting off of the skyrocketing housing prices to the tune of almost $3 billion. What have they decided to do with that money? Well, as we heard today, I guess their top priority is making sure that Cabinet members and the Premier make almost $20,000 more each uh, using that money, it's rather than helping people who need help. Well, I, I can hear the backbench heckling. I guess they're just upset they're not in Cabinet because they're not making the $20,000 extra. Look, it's the, peak, it's the peak of NDP hypocrisy, so it's a real, real easy one. The Premier has been promising now for five years that he is going to lower housing prices, make life more affordable. When is he going to do that rather than trying to make life more affordable just for himself and his cabinet? Minister of Finance. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, what I want to say to the member is that in the last five years, Mr. Speaker, we've registered more rental homes than in the previous 15 years. Action, Mr. Speaker. That's action. Last year alone, Mr. Speaker, housing starts reached 47,000, an all-time high and 53% greater than the old government's plan. That is action, Mr. Speaker. And Mr. Speaker, we're investing $1.2 billion in housing and homelessness supports every year. That's three times the level that was funded in 2017, Mr. Speaker. We're continuing to do the work that needs to be done to make up for the 15 or 16 years of negligence that was left behind by the previous government. Member for Peace River South, supplemental. Well, Mr. Speaker, here's what the BC Not-Profit Housing Association had to say 
about the budget, and I quote, those waiting for an affordable home will need to now wait longer, end quote. They're also saying that there are 10,000 promised homes in the pipeline. They're sitting there, they're waiting, and guess what? They're unfunded in this budget by the NDP. So the minister can spout off whatever numbers she wants about imaginary houses that must be for imaginary people because nobody's living in them because they're not built. The five, five years into a 10-year plan, we are halfway through a 10-year plan, and guess what? 5,200 homes have actually been built with people living in them. Real people, exactly. You know, I think, I think what the Premier should have done was added the $20,000 raise into the election platform. It would have been finally an election promise that he came good on. Yeah. <laughs> so again, why, the Premier can change this. The Premier can easily change this, and so can the Finance Minister. Will they reduce the raise that they are going to get for the Premier and Cabinet and put that money into homes to help people in British Columbia? Minister of Finance. Minister of Finance. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, certainly what we've seen is uh, significant appetite to build the kinds of homes that people uh, can afford, Mr. Speaker. And that's why, that's why in this budget, we've accelerated and put in $100 million more into the community housing. So that those projects that, that weren't successful can be successful, so we can continue to build more, Mr. Speaker. But let's just, let's just talk for a second, let's just talk for a second, Mr. Speaker, about what the folks on the other side have been saying about our housing plan, Mr. Speaker. They've been saying that they would uh, eliminate the speculation tax, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Falcon said that he would do that, and I got to hear here. You know what that, that would happen, Mr. Speaker, what that would do? 18,000 people, families, would be turfed and would have to then, while those homes sat empty, because they would get rid of a speculation tax, Mr. Speaker. And you know what else it would do? It would drive up real estate even higher, Mr. Speaker. They have opposed nearly every major step we have taken on this housing crisis, Mr. Speaker. They would eliminate our cap and make renters pay even more, Mr. Speaker. That 2%, 2% plus CPI instead of just CPI, Mr. Speaker. I think that, that renters and homeowners are better off with, both, with us folks here on this side because we're making the investments at the right time in the right way. Leader of the Official Opposition. Well, thank you very much. And I, I guess the Finance Minister can stand in the legislature and, and basically make it up as she goes along. But let's, let's look at what's... Withdraw. <laughs> Withdraw. <laughs> let's look at what British Columbians are actually facing today. And it's not just the cost of housing. And by the way, for the Minister's reference, it used, to call, it used to take 34 years to actually save to buy for a, a home in Vancouver. Uh, in the short time these guys have been in government, they've managed to drive it up to 36 years. So that is one thing they've accomplished on the housing file. But it's not just uh, home ownership, it's actually rental rates in British Columbia. And in fact, uh, there are new statistics from CMHC which show that renting is less affordable than ever under this NDP government. Let's just take a look at what it's costing people who live in Surrey, for example. They are paying $3,200 more a year under this government. 
Can't wait to hear the minister's answer to that. Let's look at Langley. Langley renters are paying $3,400 more a year, and renters in North Vancouver are paying $4,700 more a year under this government. So last week, when we asked the uh, housing minister about the renter's rebate that was promised not only once but twice in big flashy brochures from the Premier during two election campaigns, finally someone admitted, we're working on it. Well, it's been five years of empty promises, the sixth consecutive budget, and guess what? No renter's rebate. So maybe the housing minister would like to get on his feet today and explain to British Columbians exactly how long it's going to take for them to work on the renter's rebate. Minister of Finance. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. And uh, again, I, I, I listened very carefully to the member's question uh, and trying to understand you know, exactly what is she getting at? Like, what is she, what is she getting at? Right? Because she's, she's, because, because she's suggesting, Mr. Speaker, she's suggesting that, that, that we, we don't know what we're talking about or something like that. But I have to say, Mr. Speaker, it's, it's the people on the other side, it's the people on the other side who seem to forget that, that they're, they allowed landlords to increase rents 2% plus CPI. 2% plus CPI, Mr. Speaker. That was the people on the other side. We, we eliminated that. We eliminated members. that automatic 2%, Mr. Speaker. So let me tell the members what it saves British Columbians, because that in and of itself has saved hundreds of dollars a year for British Columbians. So a family, members. a BC family, by, by eliminating the 2% uh, on the rent hikes. We're reducing costs for families, Mr. Speaker. Cutting this annual rent increase to inflation is saving an average BC family over $1,000 a year on a two-bedroom, Mr. Wow. Speaker. Wow. And to be specific, if you live in Surrey, if you live in Surrey, that's $850 a year, Mr. Speaker. And if you live in Kelowna, that's $930 every single year that you're saving because we took action, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, it would be so much worse if we hadn't done that, Mr. Speaker. They would be paying, if you lived in Vancouver, you'd be paying an additional $1,440 a year, Mr. Speaker, because we took action. It is helping to make helping families, Mr. Speaker. There is, there is still much more to do, Mr. Speaker. All I can say is thank goodness we took off that 2%, Mr. Speaker, because that would really have devastated families in a way that, that we couldn't imagine. We got rid of their policy because their policies, frankly, stink. Leader of the Official Opposition Supplemental. Thank you very much. And you know what? Well, we might sit in this house and think it's funny to listen to the Minister of Finance. It's not funny to the families in Surrey. She can pretend all she wants, and her MLAs can be as silent as they want, but they are paying $3,200 more every single year under this NDP government. That's her record, and that is nothing to be laughing about. Let's talk about a very simple, very straightforward, very repetitive promise made by this Premier. And it's not the first promise, it's a long list of broken promises. 
And you know what? It would be so, so easy for this premier to have included it in his sixth consecutive budget. He made a promise to the people of British Columbia that life would be more affordable under his government, and he has utterly failed on that promise to British Columbians. He made a promise that renters would receive a $400 rebate. Pretty straight up, straightforward promise. Well, guess what? Right now, if we look at uh, the, co the cost of that rebate, it's probably about $350 now and shrinking as we speak. Saying you're working on it, as the housing minister, minister did last week, is pretty cold comfort if you're a renter in the Tri-Cities, which of course the Minister of Finance represents. They are paying $4,500 more a year in rent under the NDP. Rent is skyrocketing. This is a two-term government that's done nothing to implement a promise this Premier made not once, but twice. When will the Premier deliver on at least that simple, straightforward promise to help renters in British Columbia? Minister of Finance. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, we have made lots of promises, Mr. Speaker, and we've kept lots of promises. Here, here. We promised to fix ICBC, and we did! And we did! $500 a year. We, we also promised to eliminate MSP, and you know what, Mr. Speaker? We did. MSP. We promised, Mr. Speaker, to remove tolls on bridges. We promised to remove interest on student loans. benefit of up to $2,600 a year, and we've delivered on that too, Mr. Speaker. I'm very proud of our record. Member, member for Surrey White Rock. Oh, you removed the bridges. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And this minister can do a, do a victory lap, but there is one number that I think that she needs to remember, and all of us in this house need to remember. How about 2,224? That's how many British Columbians have lost their lives in this overdose crisis last year. The BC Chief Coroner says, and I quote, we have not seen a response commensurate with the size of this crisis with so many people dying every day, end quote. And what did we see yesterday from this minister, from this premier, from this government, an $8 million transfer, not a bump, but a transfer into the Ministry of Mental Health and Addiction's budget for communications, for advertising, for staff. This minister's priority, spin doctors, at a time where British Columbians are losing their lives over six a day. Eight million dollars, that's over 200 treatment beds. So my question is to the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, will she immediately do the right thing and will she put that money where it belongs, into treatment and recovery for British Columbians? Minister of Finance. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. 
Uh, and the tragic loss of life is something that I think everybody in this House thinks about um, every day. Mr. Speaker, um, we are spending $375 million every year uh, to put together a uh, mental health and addictions framework that works for people who are um, most impacted by the opioid crisis, the poison drug supply, who have mental health issues. It used to be, once upon a time, a hodgepodge of services that had no coordination, that had no framework around it. And I'm very proud to be a government that has put laser focus on developing and building out a mental health and addictions um, um, uh, a framework and program that makes sense, Mr. Speaker. And that work has been going on for five years as we continue to build it out. I want to point out to the member that uh, that's actually not true when he talks about it as a communications piece, and I can break it down for him. Um, the, the money includes services for people. It includes $6 million for the Community Innovation Fund, which funds community-based actions to combat the toxic drug crisis. And I think that everybody here can really appreciate that people on the ground know what their communities need, and that's what $6 million of that eight is, is doing. The other $2 million is for Stop the Stigma Public Awareness Campaign with online and physical advertisements in communities across British Columbia. And I know that everybody here stands up uh, in the face of, of stigma and challenges it, and that that's what that money is going for, Mr. Yeah. Speaker. The bell ends the question period.